0: The Life of Gem video and audio podcast. We are now on all streaming platforms, including Apple, Podbean, anywhere you can find the Life of Gem show, Writers on Writing. Today, I'm very happy to have the epic Vincent Cooper here, author of this book. Give us a wave. I didn't meet you. Um, Infidelis. Is that how you say it?
1: Yes, ma'am. Infidelis. Ah,
0: this beautiful. Book of poetry that is a little bit memoir, too, and we'll talk about that. And it's by Mouthfield Press. It was just released recently. Go pick it up. It's only $16. What a deal. And so I'm going to read Vincent's bio and then we're going to get into the meat of the interview. And just for posterity's sake, today is the 27th of January, January, right? And this will release next week on Apple Podcast. So let me read this beautiful biography. Vincent Cooper is the author of Where the Reckless Ones Come to Die, Aslan, Libra Press, 2014, Zara Zamora, which is beautiful, Poetry of Survival by Jade Publishing, 2019, and his latest, Infidelis, Mouthfield Press, just released Fall of 2023. His poems can be found widely, River's Edge Journal, Somos Somos en Escrito, Dryland Lit, and he's co-editor of the Good Cop, Bad Cop anthology, Flower Song Press 2021. He is a member of the Maconda Writers uh, Workshop. That's where we met, as is his wife, who's wonderful as well. He's a former United States Marine currently living in the south side of San Antonio, Texas. Welcome. Thank so, you so much.
1: Thank you for having
0: me. <laughs> I, so I I read all the books that I have on at least twice. I read this three times and um, I want you to start uh, with a reading from this. Do you mind?
1: Oh, of course I'm ready.
0: Okay. I'm going to put the spotlight on you. I'm here in the background, but take it.
1: Thank you so much. I'm going to start here with a chapter uh, called good night, Vietnam, which is dedicated to my uncle rich, who is a Marine, uh, in Vietnam from the west side of San Antonio, and for all the Chicano veterans who served in Vietnam. Westside Diddy. Go defend our country, son. Make Uncle Sam proud. Don't worry about a high school diploma. You've got the Viet Cong to think about. You'll be physically fit, cock strong in your dress blues. All these west side girls are going to want to fuck you. You'll have medals pinned on your chest, a career as a cook or custodian, benefits with a steady paycheck, a cheap little house with an iron fence. Come on, be a real man with a rifle in your hands and tell them all later on about the young heroes of war, jungle sounds, K-San, and how things were in Nam. My tia met you while you were in ROTC, then again at a West Side baile. Talked to me, played as you danced, true Chicano love, and a picture, maybe, of a teenage you and her, a mutual friend and the devil from El Camaroncito. Off to Vietnam, which was not Chicano, it was not ancestral to fight and kill people for political power, but he was from Sananto, El Hueso, hungry for action, military city, heavily recruited gente to go eat the bullets, ingesting toxic orange and welcoming the fog of jungles while rounds were constantly fired as fellow Marines spoke about home where coping with war was Chicano. The Chicano Hero, Hey Jude, plays on a radio in Vietnam when you are told you're going home. The process, pack your uniforms and gear in the green sea bag neatly, black and white pictures of Marines, cigarettes in mouth, shirtless and smiling, and a passport stamped Okinawa, Japan, the cold Pacific, gently embraces crimson mountains to Los Angeles International, then a shuttle down to San Diego Airport to San Antonio and no one to greet you. You kiss the ground when you land and call a cab. Hippies of the 60s protesting the war keep baby killer in their mouths, tight like the clothes in your sea bag, and you strut on through. The cab driver is one of the few to say thank you for your service. You don't remember his name. At home, on the west side of San Antonio, no welcome party. Just dad watching TV. No friends on the front lawn waiting with a beer. Nothing. Infidelis. Full Metal Jacket is your favorite movie about Marine Corps boot camp the accuracy of the gunny and Gomer Pyle's rifle in mouth. Guys at Pendleton jump the Constantine-wired fence at night and run across the 5 freeway and get hit by cars driving 80 miles per hour. Others fall down hills to their deaths so that they won't have to become a Marine or go to war. Lots of suicide attempts, hon. Huh? Thank you for your service is what he wants to hear from Chicanos, Blacks, whites, Asians, children, and adults. And when he dies, Theo wants to be planted face down so the whole world can kiss his ass. Good night, Vietnam. I am a father of six. I remain father hungry, collecting fathers as I go. They are dying. The men you served with hold Trump MAGA hats in the air, spouting hate and violence. To them I say, good night, Vietnam. There are no Marines in Aztlan. Julian Lennon could never be like his father. He did everything wrong but wrote catchy pop songs to deal with Vietnam. Veterano. Wearing a red and gold cover that reads 1967 to 1969, reconnaissance, USMC, raising a devil dog flag in the front yard next to an American flag. Everyone driving by knows who you are, a veterano for this country that is not yours, a dream you're not in. You're not going to make it, Theo said. He was the only consistent father figure I had, who knew I wouldn't survive. Theo went to Nam. A recruiter snatched him up, like all recruiters in San Antonio do. They round up the gente to fight the wars of Euro juniors, to die for their red, white, and blue on stolen indigenous land. Theo came back to America, a cook for the VA, shit on a shingle. It was the best meal I ever had. Thank you.
0: I'm a little choked up. Yeah. Um, I
1: represent
0: I used to represent a lot of veterans in veterans court. I I've never heard these stories from anyone. And the way that you intersect your story and your uncle's story and the anti-American dream. I mean, it's like a nightmare, right? It's the American nightmare. Right. Um, how you're treated when you go to boot camp, your uncle going to Vietnam, him warning you. I mean Let's start with the title though, right? Um, It's clearly a very important part of this book. um, And you even go so far almost as a prologue to tell the origin story. So talk about the title. And um, while you're talking about the title, if you could also talk about um, how this book came to be. Like, did you always have it in your mind that you were going to write it? Um, It must've been a really hard story to tell. And when I hear you read it, it sounds like a song. And we're gonna talk about the music part of it later. Yeah. But you're such a good performer and you're so powerful. It, they really read very musically in a way too, every piece in this book.
1: Thank you. Thank you for all that. And yes, thank you. Somebody said it. Um so with uh Infidelis, so it it started before the Marine Corps boot camp because I grew up with a marine father figure in, in the house, or you know, my mom and I we went from apartment to apartment and you know, my aunt and uncle would let us stay with them in a one Mm. bedroom, you know, in in Alhambra, California. So he was, uh, constantly wearing Marine Corps shirts and covers. Mm. He was always Semper Fi, Semper Fi. And Semper Fidelis was always like in my head, meaning always faithful, which is the Marine Corps motto. And, And he's very, uh, prideful. So, um, you know we we'd laugh
0: as know. marines are they're probably yeah. i'd say the most uh prideful about their uh their troop yeah
1: right and and so you know as kids growing up we'd be like oh god here we go um so even before i went to boot camp um i had already known what it meant and at boot camp and in the in the marines you know it's it's said and and it's supposed to mean this this brotherhood um this fraternal thing and and i think we do have it I, I still have it with a lot of Marines that I, that I was with at the time. Uh, but the title came to be because I thought, well, people might take this negatively. They're mm-hmm. going to hear it and they're going to be like, oh, you know, this isn't like a a war story where you go kill people over there and you're dealing with demons. This, You know, people are really funny when, they come to, when it comes to war and military, right? Yeah. And this isn't a, a war story. And and this is just an experience. So I knew when I had the title, which was a process I had to find, because I was like, "What's opposite of fidelis? What's, mm. What what is fidel? And and um, what also works, Jim? I knew I was going to do one word titles with my books.
0: Oh,
1: so so I had SasaMora right, and my publisher added a tagline. I didn't add that. So I had SasaMora there, which Vic. Victoria, to her credit, came up with that one. Um, and I said, okay, cool. Well, what's the opposite of Semper Fidelis? How do, you, how do you do the opposite? And I looked it up, and by sheer luck, infidel and infidelis was a Latin word. And I'm Gosh. like, it's got to be slang. And I, kept, I, I went through all these books in Latin and medieval Latin, and I'm like, it is a word, infidelis. So cool. And it, it's a one-word title that works for me, which is what I wanted. And I felt like, and I tested it on people and sure enough, their reaction was, Oh, this is negative without reading or hearing a single poem. They're like, this is negative. And I thought who is going to have the
0: root word infidel, right? I guess that's where they must get it from. Yeah.
1: Right. And I've, and even for military people, they're like, Semper Fidelis, right? What's up, Semper Fi, bro? And then it's like infidelis. You're like, wait, what is that? Mm. What is that about? And they they have not even heard me even read a single word from it or, or any of it. But they're already like, uh, I don't know if I want anything to do with this. Yeah. And I wasn't like my uncle. Whenever I saw my uncle, he was like Marine, Marine. You know, we, we, he wanted to hug it out because his sons didn't join. I did, and wow. and and he always felt like that was a connection. And I just. I was going through so much of it at the time that I, I I couldn't have that vibe with him. And I also didn't go to war either. So it's like, um, it just didn't connect. Anyway, so Infidelis works uh, for the title for me. I felt that the people uh, were going to judge it and just on the title alone, and it was going to spark a reaction. And it has, you know, for the mm-hmm. most part. And the people that wouldn't like it are diehard patriot people who right. don't want anything said negatively about military, and it's really right. weird how they pick and choose that battle because when you read uh, like these films, like Full Metal Jacket or, or Apocalypse right. Now is Heart of Darkness, these are like hard du- You have a marine, uh, an, an army guy who bet- who betrays the army to go do his own thing, and you know, in Full Metal Jacket, it, it's like this. The story of these guys going through boot camp to Vietnam and and this everything they do it's not beautiful it's it's a negative thing and and it's it's really sad so it, it it's weird how they're cool with that but they're not cool with this and okay um, well because
0: I, it is a coming of age story in some ways yeah. this book I really saw it as that I love coming of age stories but it turns it's on its head right because. In a typical coming-of-age story, the narrator has this awakening. You have a disillusionment, right? Mm-hmm. You think that this military is going to get you out and, and it ends up being hell, right, in some right. ways. Yeah. Um, and I get the brotherhood and your friendships and all that. That kind of, you know, when you go through really traumatic experiences with people, it does create that brotherhood. But is that is that the way you want to create it, you know? So right. um, I, I just... So talk more about, I wanted to ask you, this is a book of poetry. It's written in poems, but it's also a memoir in many ways. And you're telling your story, your uncle's story, some stories about the military. Talk about why you chose poetry as a form, because I could actually see you maybe doing a traditional memoir one day with some of these stories, right? Because yeah. when you read them, they are prose too.
1: Yes. So going back to the other question you mentioned, when did this, was going to happen? I knew probably around 2008, I was going to write about it. I just didn't know what. And some poetry came out, like long poems. But I was different in 2008. And things were different in 2008. So at the time, I was uh, here in San Antonio and uh, going through... The new era of death in the family, where a lot of my relatives were passing away. So, a lot of those poetry shifted toward the West Side, the the, the barrios, the conditions, which became Sarsamora, the book, right? And I yeah, thought God. at first I could write them both, Sarsamora and Infidelis, and have like this mega book. And then I'm like, no, that's too much. It's like a, the godfather of books or something. <laughs> And so, but some poems had come out and I had used some of those poems that are in Infidelis. They've oh. just been sitting around since 2008. And uh, once Czar's once was done, I said, you know what? I think I'm going to do a military chapbook, something quick, something to keep momentum going, right? Like when you put a book out, everybody wants you to do book two and book three, right? Um, so I said, let me do a quick Marine thing. And it just became a little bit more. Um, yeah. I started to get cute and do all these other things. I, it was going to be like a journal entry. Uh, it was going to be a like statistic poetry where a lot of numbers, a lot of figures, a lot of like breakdown of racial barrier of who went to Vietnam and who did this and who did that. And, 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 okay. it, and I'm like, well, who is that for? You know, who yeah. is that? who's going to really dig that other than people who are really into that thing. And I'm like, I got to make it so that everybody will read it. And, and I, I thought, okay, cool. Let me do some pop culture. I'm going to add a lot of pop culture with it, especially the movies, like just go at the movies, uh, uh, the military films, and like everything else I've tell Vic and she doesn't like this, but, I said, "Look, where the reckless ones come to die" is my demo, and you know, Zars is like my for, for first album, and this is another album. I always think of books as albums, yeah. You know, and 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 I'll always treat it that way. So there's got to be uh, a pacing in it, right? Like this. This, yeah. this one has to have like a punk feel because I like it uh, does. I like the and punk bands. Um, have short songs, short, quick songs. So the, a lot of the poems in here are quick. Or like Czar's, you mm-hmm. have five, three, three, five, six page poems in that
0: and one. And these have like a three chord feel too, like punk, <laughs> you know? Like, and you're you're such, not everyone is good at titles. You're really good at titles. Like Smokey Bear, Brothers 2, Good Night, West Side Diddy. You're really good at titles. Like oh. not everyone is, you know?
1: Thanks. really cool. And and so um in writing a lot of this stuff I I I thought my first thing is I like elements of Edgar Allan Poe because he wants to start his books or he did start his books excuse me right in the middle of a tense moment or right in that moment. And I said, you know what? I'm I wrote this lead up. The first poem is just the moment where I decide to go into the military. And uh but I had written a poem that was like 10 pages long uh, of that moment. And I just cut it down to that, just that um, there. And, and said, let's go from here and let's just go in that order, stop. And then let's go way back to the eighties and then stop. Let's go to what we are now, you know, Um, all of that was intended for the storyline. And then in a, in a sort of Tarantino way, I wanted the last poem to bleed into the first poem again, like a loop, you know mm. to bring to bring us back to the moment of the first poem. That's why you know the last lines are her in the street. Where are we going where are you you know where are you going and, and I'm taking her to the recruiting station. so um yes. all of that all of that was intentional. I did feel like it was memoir or Vic said memoir and verse. We, we were toying <laughs> around with a lot of it, right? And I'm like, I think it works this way as opposed to the whole statistics and numbers thing that I was going to do before, you know.
0: It really does. It really works. And, you know, I think it's one of those things like you never know what you're going to get when you kind of go with this organic process that you did. Um, And it does have a punk style. And you quote, I wore my replacements. You quote one of my favorite replacement song, "Andra yeah. Andra," I love that yeah. song. Um, and you quote a lot of Lou Reed. You quote Shakira, and my favorite Shakira song is in Spanish, "Even though Mano Pocha, Donde Estan los Ladrones." And you quote yeah. that in this book. My husband turned me on to Shakira and uh, Manan, a bunch of um, Spanish rock. But um, you quote Nirvana. You quote I and mean, talk about the role music plays in this book. It's um, it's very um, subtle in some ways but then very not subtle in other ways and that's what I liked about it I love people that show their identity through music because yes a big part of this book is Chicano identity right yeah you have a lot of poems that use and that either use the word in their title or use it in the verse Chicano being a Chicano what does that mean but then there's also this blue collar theme which goes with the punk theme right right
1: right And so punk
0: was a blue collar movement, right?
1: So, yeah. Even my intention too to like use Bruce Springsteen, born in the USA, because um, I happened to. It it took me a while to like Bruce Springsteen, but when I realized that I've always taken Born in the USA as sarcasm or something along those lines, where he um, he was really. I think he was writing about his brother who who went to Vietnam, and. Bruce is a famous draft dodger. So that was intentionally that. that was intentionally put there because he was revered. Bruce Springsteen's band has been revered in rock forever, but uh and people love his albums and everything, but I always found that funny that he um kind of wrote a it's a protest song if you ask me about Vietnam, about how America treated Vietnam veterans. So yeah. it's a, so I put that song intentionally in there. Um, replacements uh, There's a song I, I was going to put in there Bastards of Young oh,
0: which, my, One of my favorite songs too
1: which, which to me is like totally perfect Lyrically because it's I take it as a Gen X To the boom Kind of a song and, mm-hmm. But I but I put in androgynous because I, When life hands you poetry You know I was on an a, a Uber lift ride and this guy You know I, I talked to a lot of guys When I was doing that and they happen to be former military. What luck! And I'm like, I'm writing this book about about my time in the Marines, and it just always led to conversations, weird conversations. Um, and that guy, particularly, was an Army guy who was just venting about how he hated trans people. And I was like, holy shit! Like, like I didn't mean to, but I'm like, just okay, go on. I guess I can't get out of the car. We're on the freeway, but. <laughs> but finish your line, you know, tell me, I guess, let it out. And he was just venting the whole time about, you know, we're letting gays in the military and trans and we can't have it anymore. We need this kind of person, that kind of person. I'm just like writing it down. Like, okay. Okay. Like, like, you know, he's just giving me all the feel of, of, of what it is and and how they are, how people can be uh, ugly in, in the military. So um, I had other rides where I had old schoolers, uh, that went to Vietnam who were, like, really weird. They'd be like, man, you know, I miss being in the Marines, like this and that, and, you know, and then they get into their PTSD stuff. And it's like, holy shit, like, night and day, like, the it's a 20-minute yeah. ride, and 10 minutes is pride, and 10 minutes is, like, complete sorrowfulness. Oh. And, and I'm just, like, here, and I'm, like, taking it in. And, and, and so a lot of that played into it. Um, but uh, so replacements... Bruce Springsteen, um, I think Bad Religion is probably my favorite band. And because of my age, it might make a little sense, even though they're a little bit before my time, I guess. But I've always stuck with Bad Religion more and Social D uh, mm-hmm. as newer punk, newer, I I don't know, not now, They are all old. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but they're that, an
0: old band now.
1: <laughs> right, now we're old, old professor bands, but... Uh, I, I always liked them, their lyrics, and, and I wanted to start off. I knew I was going to start off with their lyrics to We're, we're Only Going to Die from Our Own Arrogance because I always felt that um, that's a, that was a message to, in my case here, the military. And yeah. I ended the book with You Don't Belong, which to me is me saying, the Marines telling me, I don't belong. Yeah. And so I bookended it that way. Um, the Shakira thing was also pretty because I'm glad you brought it up because I did have a a good friend of mine. We don't talk anymore because he went Trumpy, but he's a, he was a young, beautiful guy from Laredo and, um, he's uh, I think he's a border patrol agent because that's kind of like a pipeline with, um, military. You go into the military, Mm -hmm. possibly go to deploy, come back and you become a cop or a border patrol agent. It just, yeah. it, it's, it's kind of weird. And, but before all that, he was just a sweet little boy younger than me. And and he would, we would talk together and he was a huge Shakira fan. So he was in the barracks all the time, you know, shining his boots and, and ironing his, uh his uniform.
0: And this is like, way before she crossed over, right? This right. is like when well, she well, was right like, around there. Right yeah. Kind of like that. a, right yeah. There. Like a, she was kind of like a punky, kind yeah. of like and she's really into hard rock, the thing about Shakira. Yeah she's a huge fan of like all the hard rock bands from America. It's weird. Yeah.
1: And, and this was his private thing. So whenever yeah. I came into the barracks and I'm like, oh God, here we go, Shakira. And he was such a you know into it. And then we would have these moments where we're just sitting there, you know, sitting next to each other, spit shining, you know, our boots and and Shakira blasting in in the background and just talking about how we miss Texas. And mm-hmm. uh and I thought that was a beautiful moment because people want to hear, oh, you know, I have my M16 and I'm shooting things and I'm doing this and I'm doing something really tough and marine-like or whatever. But that was a beautiful. Those were beautiful moments, you know, with with yeah, other true. guys that we have that people probably wouldn't talk about. And and uh, we saw Shakira together. We went, he He Gosh. bought two tickets to the San Diego Stadium there. That. Whatever that is. <laughs> and he's like, You gotta go with me. And I shit you not. It was such a good show. It was Oh really yeah, I've good. seen
0: her live. She did a lot of hard rock. She did a lot yeah. of like A C D C. Yeah. I wasn't expecting that. And she no. really is into that hard rock. Um, the reason I find it so interesting, the way you define yourself with music is I've always kind of been between cultures, being half white, not speaking Spanish, um, being raised kind of all around Latinos. I mean, Ontario growing up was all Latino. But um, but always feeling kind of other because I didn't fit in, and then the music I liked kind of didn't fit in with the narrative. But then last night I saw this band Twin Tribes, and mm. they're from um, the border town in Texas, and um, I think they're from Brownsville or somewhere like that. And uh, they're goth dudes, and they're in their like thirties, <laughs> and they sound like Bauhaus, and they dress like vampires. And I'm like, maybe I'm not such a weirdo after all. I was just a little ahead of my time, maybe. But um, how do you feel about that concept? Because you do a really nice job of bridging the cultures with with the way you use music. But how does that role of Chicano culture play with this music? Right? Mm Because this music, aside from Shakira, we're talking about like pretty much like punk bands, right? Or like hard rock, Iggy Pop, and Lou Reed, I don't think you quote Iggy, but you quote Lou Reed, you quote the Velvet Underground, you quote Nirvana, you quote the Beatles, um, the poem you read, you reference Hey Jude, yeah. um, which is my mom's favorite, only Beatles song she likes because her name's Judy. So talk about music and that role of like, you're kind of subverting what it means to be Chicano as well, right? You're telling this other side that we were not a monolith, right?
1: You're right. No, totally. And I think that we are really omitted from from a lot of these things. When when people think like Robert Smith or or, or even Morrissey, their first thought aren't Chicano people or Chicano fans, but the truth is that they the brunt of their fans are Chicano, you know? Right. And and I don't know who does that sort of erasure or or what. Maybe it's media who's always put Darby crash in front of um, <laughs> you know a bunch of a bunch of you know white teenagers when you really had a lot of Chicanos in the group you know you really did and those mm-hmm. who were there um, I was again too young but um, those who were really there all you I have them on Facebook they're all friends like oh I was there with you know Alice Bag. I was there with so-and-so yep. and it was a lot of us. It was at backyard parties or whatever, you know, shows. And and I'm like, all I'm hearing is Chicanos talking about being there and that they were always there. But on photos, you may not see it or footage, you may not. And so to me, it always was. Yes. I, I always thought that we were always a part of these things. And and I grew up with cool guys in the 80s who who were doing LA things and it was just normal to be in, involved in that, and punk was like, like regular punk and duop. You know, we, we yeah. always heard that in, in 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 the house, and it was normal. So I've never, I didn't know that it was something like, oh, that's not Chicano. You know, I, I never saw it that way. I thought it was totally Chicano, and for me, Chicanos are the perfect blend. Chicanos, they, they blend everything. They're like chameleon people. Whereas I think in some other cultures, they're just that, you know, they're just, you know, like a Russian is just going to be Russian, uh, you know, somebody from somewhere else. So to get like a Russian in Mexico is it doesn't, there's something different, but somehow Chicanos can do that too. Or like, uh, there's this whole Asian cholo thing going on too, which I think is perfect. Um, you know, I don't know. I I think we blend with everything. We we can love everything. We we have our Chicano goth. We have Chicano metalheads. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm a huge metal fan. Metal fan. And um you know, people might be surprised, but I'm like, why are you surprised? I mean, yeah. I I mean, I I I've been to so many metal shows and and done all this and uh, it just it, it it was never out of the norm for me until somebody had to tell me later that You know, you should be listening to like Mana and, you know, some grito music and norteños and all that. And I'm like, what? I'm like, that's cool, too. But, you know, uh, this is what I listen to. I I grew up with people that love punk and and punk bands. And that's that's what it is.
0: Yeah. And um, Ricky Rodriguez, who's a professor at UC Riverside, just wrote a book called A Kiss Across the Ocean about the intersection of Latin culture and uh, post-punk. Uh, dark Wave, and he talks a lot about the image of the Chola and the image of Chicanos and how it kind of blends with um, punk, right? Mm-hmm. Bandanas, thick eyeliner, right? Susie Sue, like her right. eyeliner, right? Where'd she get that from, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's no. it's interesting, uh, kind of co-opting, but also like Alice Back, I didn't know about Alice Back till I was 40 years old. Mm-hmm. I had no idea about her. I knew X is one of my favorite bands and she played with X and I had no idea who Alice Begg was until she, we did a punk rock festival at UC Riverside and she was the keynote and I read her memoir and it was, oh my gosh, this woman was like at the forefront of East LA, Chicano, Boyle Heights, punk culture, right? And everyone talks about the British and everyone talks about the New York scene there's, I think the L.A. scene has kind of been, you know, minimized in the punk movement, but that's where all the Chicanos were. That's why it was minimized, right?
1: I think um, so, too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and you lived in Alhambra, which is basically like, what, 15 minutes from Boyle Heights from the yeah, start 15. of the L.A. punk scene? Kind
1: yeah. of. Yeah. So. So, yeah, I mean, I, exactly. And everybody that we were with was going to the I, I don't know about here. I don't think here, but in L.A., there was a time when backyard shows were a big deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody was punked out. I mean, they were all Chicanos in 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 Linwood or wherever, you know. And mm-hmm. I, I just I always saw that that's just how it was. I didn't think twice of it. One of my my cousin, who I was mostly hanging out with, was friends with his with a band called Fighting Cause, a punk band back in the day. Um, I want to say they were from San Bernardino, and. Oh. And they were like a band that was touring in the early 90s and Corona, everywhere all around. And so, and they were white guys, a mix of white and Chicano guys. It just seemed like the way it is. You know, I Mm -hmm. I just never questioned it ever. So I I do this all deliberately without thinking, you know, somebody out there is going to say this is incorrect or whatever. No, this is what it is.
0: Yeah. It's beautiful. It really is a testament. And I, by the way, I love the cover. Um, You, the parts you read from to start the show. um, How did you decide to bring in your Tio story? I I know it's a big part of your story, but I love the way that there's this image of Vietnam, but it's from your eyes seeing him, right? Mm -hmm. You're kind of writing both in his voice and in an observer voice kind of there's two different perspectives in those poems. Like, how did you do that? How did you walk that line? And has your uncle read the book? What did he think of it? Or has he passed away?
1: Oh, real quick, shout out to Cloud Cardona for the cover. Um, Mm -hmm. She's one of our favorite people. Um, She's, her father is a great poet. She's a great poet. Uh, So thank you, Cloud. Um, He's alive. We don't talk, but um, He's, uh, I don't know if he's actually read it. Um, I've, I'll get into that in a second. But uh, somebody told me I was not allowed to write about Vietnam while writing this. I forgot who, but I was reading some of the, the material somewhere, and they are like, that's not your story. You can't say that. <laughs> and I thought, what do you mean? I'm a Marine, too. Like, what, what are you talking about? I'm a Marine who grew up with a Marine. And, you know, this is this is how I write it. So with even more audacity, I wanted it to be in the book um, because I think that Vietnam is the most popular and unpopular war, uh, popular because of the music and the films and unpopular because of the result. So Mm. it has to be in it, especially on a gimmicky level for, for the poetry book where I got to talk about it and I actually got to talk about it because the man who raised me or was a part of my life was a Marine in Vietnam and a West sider. That means something. So, and this city I currently live in is heavy military. It's a, it's a military town. They take pride in that. So I I was very deliberate and I knew I was going to write strictly directly at Vietnam veterans about it. Mm -hmm. So that was purely intentional the, when we talked, he 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 divorced my my aunt a long time ago, like decades ago. This was you know he was he was my uncle by marriage, so so when they divorced, he changed into somebody else, as people do, and he was now in that relationship with other people and, and another life. So seeing him became very rare. And then when we talk on the phone, he was like a different guy. And it, I started to tell myself, you know, I think it's over. I think it's time to just kind of move, move forward instead of lapdogging him, and you know, thinking that we're really father and son. We're we're just former uncle, former nephew. Now. It's like
0: that line in your poem about hungry for fathers.
1: Yeah, and yeah. and and so, you know, I, I I called him and I told him, hey, tell me again what it was like when you left that moment and that's why you get that whole chapter i wrote it based off of that 30 minute conversation and um and afterward he goes he was crying because he remembered something and then he goes so what you're gonna write this book and just talk shit about me through your whole book like you hate me and (laughs) and we we laughed about it and i'm like no i'm not gonna talk shit about you it's just you know i i i want to put this in the book and Uh, I think that was the last time we talked because, you know, something happened where he was going to come here and then he didn't, or he did, and I was in a mood and it wasn't going to happen. And then one year became four years and then four years became like, I don't even know. And (laughs) we just, we just kind of moved on and and he's tried to call me like right around my birthday, but um, I just feel a little bit differently towards family right now. And, and so we haven't talked. So I don't know if he's read it. And if he has, he hasn't said anything about it yet.
0: <laughs> well, sure it's a has. it's a loving portrait. Um, mm-hmm. I think the way that you portray him mm-hmm. is very loving. It's um, very poignant. Like, I felt it. Um, he was the only consistent father figure I had when I knew I wouldn't survive. You're not going to make it. Tio said that's the beginning of that poem page 37 and that line shit on a shingle the best meal I ever had I mean you make him both um a symbol of something but also a person right I hear his voice in this
1: Mm -hmm. oh yeah I mean he was a character and I think I'll always forever have that image of him you know in the backyard with the grill and wearing a marine corps cover (laughs) and his face kind of shaded and smiling and, and being this this guy who wore thigh high shorts in the eighties and a little league baseball coach. And, you know, come on, you know, chatter, chatter, Vinny, you know, and and come on, you know, connect with baseball. And, uh, you know, we, we, we had these loving moments as, as, you know, when the eighties were there, when I didn't know what was going on behind the scenes, you know, I didn't know he was a raging alcoholic. I didn't know that he was, not wanting to be with my aunt, you know, I didn't know a lot of these things that were going on back then. I just knew this this smiling man, you know, who was yeah. a motivated Marine, yeah.
0: Um, one of my favorite poems in the book, um, I think because it talks a lot about my experience that I had representing veterans and how the criminal system, the carceral system really didn't give them any credit for being in the military. Mm -hmm. It wanted to treat them sometimes worse than your average person. And then we got veterans court, but there was still a lot of judgment. I felt by the court system. Some of my, some of my clients, former military had done multiple, multiple tours. I had one guy who did five tours yeah, and he could not acclimate to normal life. He was a raging alcoholic. Mm -hmm. He ended up going to prison because he couldn't finish the program because he, he couldn't, survive outside of the military structure he just couldn't and I still get choked up when i think about him because he had served our country so many times in times of war five tours i mean basically broke himself right to serve our country and our country never served him back and you have this beautiful politically astute poem called the gimmick Yes. Do you mind reading that really quick, just so people can understand what I'm talking about? It's on page 50 and 51.
1: Yeah. You said 51? Yeah. Okay. And I'll,
0: I'll stay here so we can talk about it right after.
1: So I wrote this real quick. I wrote this, and it's published in um, I I don't... I mean, some people are, like, very... When it comes to Chicanos, they want, they want somebody who kind of pounds their fists on the table and we are and this is it. And we're, you know, we're gente united and, and La Raza and all this sort of kind of vibe, right? Like they have a beret and Che Guevara kind of thing. And I've never really seen myself that way. And I don't think anybody does either. So this is kind of one of those that's for you, for those people who like that sort of thing. Um, the gimmick. Our country won't go on forever. Uh, if we stay as soft as we are now, there won't be any America because some foreign soldiery will invade us, take our women, and breed a heartier race. Lieutenant General Lewis B. Chesty Pooler, USMC. That's a real quote from a real person. <laughs> Chicano brothers and sisters, I want you to take back what is ours This land is your land. This land is Atslan. Daddy wears Marine Corps gear, red and gold pride, do or die. He wants you to be a man. Get a GI Bill. Make your time worth it. Get all the benefits. Try not to get married. Don't have kids. Just live it up. Look sharp. Uniform starched. Sharp creases. Stiff walk. Clack the heels from your spit-shine Cadillacs. The Marines tell you we're all green for equality. We fight for honor, we die for freedom. So Americans can watch American Idol with a Budweiser on the arm of their couches and their children glued to iPad apps, Mega 2.0. Later, you hear your brown Marine brother is being deported and you vouch for him, tell Facebook that he's a hero while our government says, Thank you for being a frontline bullet catcher, now go back to Mexico. Your son, who followed your footsteps, says, It's a thankless job. I should have chased that woman I loved or that job in LA that I wanted. <laughs> wow.
0: Wow. Well, yeah. Some powerful stuff there. I mean, I also, as I, the third time I read this, what really struck me is how few of these stories of Chicano's in the military are in the literary canon, um, in yes. the literary discourse at all. Um, I don't know of any other ones.
1: I'll tell um, you right now, real quick. Um, part of the writing process here was—I don't know if you—you you were a Brian Turner, the military writer. But Brian Turner is a famous, I guess, when people think of military writers or poets, Brian Turner comes up as the guy. He wrote uh, Hear Bullet and a few other books. And he's really, he's like the sweetest man you'll ever meet. And and he's always been really kind to me when I've met him. Um, And so who do I go to for this book? What Chicano do I go to for this book? Honestly, Brian Turner can be an honorary Chicano, but he's not (laughs) Chicano, right? And so the name that came up from everybody was Charlie Trujillo. Charlie Trujillo is one of probably a handful of Chicano veterans who have written a book. And Charlie is still with us. Um, My experience, though, was not good. So, but his book was his book Soldados in Vietnam uh, is a very good book. It won an award, and he's been trying to make a movie of it for for mm. a while now. And a lot of people love him; they they think he's the one. And uh, I think uh, Professor uh, Cano is another one. Manuel Ramos, a few people uh, who put out books that are poets and Chicano veterans, but. Honestly, my it's it's hard to tell you, Jim, but they they did not help. Yeah, uh, these folks were not interested, and so I reached out and I got a big big ghost. I did talk to Charlie for a while, and he was not into it. And it's okay. I mean, they don't have to yeah. be. They don't, you know, they don't have to be thought less of. But if you think of like, well. I wanted to keep it Chicano. I wanted a Chicano mentor. Yeah. And there was no nobody for that. But I did have Victoria. I did uh, have I did have um people, you know, Jose Hidalgo. I had um who did
0: a beautiful blurb, by the way. Yes. Yeah,
1: I have people around that that, you know, Cesar De Leon, a poet and from the, from the valley, a lot of people that do help. And so I had yeah. to look at it that way like, oh, you know, Charlie, you know, he wasn't into it and but, but, all these other people were, and i I, yeah. I focused more on that. So,
0: and right. I mean, you had Brian Turner. you know when I um started out in corporate law in Houston, I thought my mentor was going to be this big Latino partner. Um, yeah, his name was Oscar that everyone revered at revered at Vincent and Elkins. But my mentor was an old white man who was married to a federal judge. Yeah, and he was a feminist, and he was a um supporter. He always wanted women. Women of color on his team. Um, now he wasn't perfect. He would always apologize when he swore. It's a southern thing, I think. But um, I still think of him with fondness because the partner I thought was going to be my mentor just wasn't into it. Right? He yeah. had worked so hard to get where he was. He wasn't going to help anyone else. You yeah. know, he was. He probably had a lot of insecurity about his own position. And so I think it is hard sometimes when we're looking for that exact match of what we think we need, but you got all these other people that loved and supported you. Talk about the path to publication. How did that work? Did you submit it to different presses? Um, We have a lot of writers that listen in and I really like writers to talk about it because it's not magic. You know, I remember when I did Bona the first time someone said, oh, it'll just happen well no, it doesn't just happen. You have to put yourself in places and with people and build I I hate the term platform, but build your community so that you have the opportunity to be seen and heard. Talk yeah. about how um the this book uh went and I love Mouthfield Press. They're mm-hmm. one of my favorite presses right now. Talk about the path to publication.
1: Yeah, so uh Maria Maloney who runs Mouthfield Press uh I had known her for a few years now, and we've just social media friends. And I remember when I was looking for publishers for Sasa the other book, I had seen Mouthfeel there, and I remember, like, there wasn't much. I think they were in a hiatus at the time, like 2014. And um, so, and I saw that they had published Irene and a few other people I know. So I'm like, maybe Mouthfeel would be good for Sasamora, but then I didn't really see much activity. So I'm like, okay, somebody else, right? Um, so after Sasamora was published, I had a, a negative experience with that publisher. And so when it came to Infidelis coming out, I, was, I had not even really settled in on anyone yet. Uh, and Maria was aware, now that she was back running Mouthfeel again, Um, she was aware of my publishing experience with, with czars. So, and she, she would see me vent on Twitter all the time and she would set up readings for me.
0: Oh, wow.
1: She was like, Hey, I'm doing a day of the dead reading for the Smithsonian. I want you on it. It's a paid gig. You know, let's just have you on it. And I'm like, okay, thank you. And then another gig, you know, here in town, that was for mouthfeel authors. And I'm like, I'm not even a mouthfeel, you know, author. And I think everybody was like, are you, is that who you're going with with this press? (laughs) And we all, we, we all had like dinner and she just looked at me and and we all looked at each other like, yeah, right. Like, I'm going to give it to, I'm going to submit it to you guys. And she was like, yeah, I mean, this just makes sense where we were that close and she was that supportive, but I still submitted it formally. And, you know, eventually she got back to me and she's like, yeah, we're gonna do this for sure, and um, and it's been great. She's been good. I was a little worried because I think her husband's a marine, and uh, but I think she said he was cool with it with wow. the book, and, and so uh, it's been good. And, and now that I'm older, I had to do some maturing myself because over the years with that negative experience with Jade, um, I was like very bitter about publishing period. So I didn't even know truly where I was going to go with this book until it just made sense with mouthfeel. Now uh, for the next book, I I don't know yet either. I'm probably going to go somewhere completely different, but, um, but yeah, it's been good. I I still submitted it. Um, We still went through a zooms editing and editing and editing and, and, and interacting with each other. It's been a good process with them.
0: That's so um, important for people to hear that it's about building the relationships saying yes. Um, a lot of writers don't want to do events. They don't want to read. They don't want to market. They don't want to put themselves out there. And I really think it can be um, a disservice to, because for me, I've never looked at um, writing and publishing even my books as a money making thing, right? I ha- I'm blessed. I have a good job. And I'll retire soon, and I'll write full time. Maybe teach on the side. But I've always looked at it like, how can I get my book in front of a lot of people? How can I have a 16 year old who's going to drop out of high school read my book, right? Mm -hmm. And realize that even if they decide to do that, their life is not over. Like, don't give up, right? Tomorrow's another day. You will be okay. And this book is so important to get in the hands of people because there's so many veterans, non veterans, veteran spouses. kids that might be thinking about um, joining the military. That, mm-hmm. I mean, this is a book that needs to be read. And I'm so glad you had a really positive experience with this press. And they're kind of blowing up right now. They've uh, put out a couple other books that I really love too. And I think they're going to be at AWP. And I'm going to stop by and meet um, her, hopefully, uh, just because I just, I love uh, mouth feels um, what they choose to publish. It's, yeah. it's eclectic. Mm-hmm. It's not by any means like like someone like whoever this is that's running it is looking at these things and picking them with intention, right? Oh
1: yeah, for sure. No, she's been great, and and I'm, I'm yeah, we're all gonna be at AWP so we can all hang out and hug it out, and uh, for sure, no, I, and then the authors together. It's
0: Tochi's book with them.
1: Tochi? Incantations. Tochi. In- yeah. yeah. Sochi- yeah. Oh, yeah. Sochi. Sochi's great. Sochi. Oh yeah. Like our, our sister from from the San Gabriel Valley. Uh, <laughs> she's great. She'll be there too. So she'll be there. Um, but yeah, no. Uh, Maria's been great with it. Very supportive. I mean, I'm. I really am in debt because she she did a lot for me where a lot of people were not. You know, especially the the previous publisher. So it works. It's a beautiful thing when it works. And and yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to. To us all hanging out.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you know, it it almost sounds like it's been a healing experience for you because I know how hard that other um what happened with the other, how hard that must have been and heartbreaking, right? Um mm-hmm. and every writer has a horror story. I had a professor whose memoir, um, Richard Goodman, is beautiful. It's about being um growing up in the 70s in New York and like the punk scene. Like he's not a punker, but he grew up in that era. And it's out of print. The publisher went under. He can't get the rights back. And this is a professor at University of New Orleans. And I was telling him, I would just republish it. (laughs) Who's going to sue you? Like, I think sometimes for me, what's the most important thing that I tell all writers is hold on to your rights as much as you can. Um, The very first story I ever published, I gave away all my rights to it. And I'm a lawyer for Pete's sake and I didn't read the contract, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. and they sold it and sold it to lifetime and just told my infertility story all over the world. And I Ooh. sold it for $50. Wow. And I cut down their uh, release cause they actually tried to keep it in per- perpetuity in any subject matter related to infertility. Mm-hmm. And I was smart enough to cut all that language out so that I could write my fertility story other places. But I just think it's really important that we as writers take our power back, right? And if we have a bad experience, move on and go to someone else. Yeah. You know? So I'm no. so glad it worked out for you. Um, for those of you listening in, uh, Vincent's going to end with a reading. I want everyone to look up Vincent Cooper, writer. Um, look up his book, Infidelis, through Mouthfeel Press, www.mouthfeelbooks.com. That's M-O-U-T-H-F-E-A-L Press. Um, buy this book. It's beautiful. Buy all his books. Um, and so um, if you want to take us out with the reading, um, I would love you to read another five or ten minutes. Can, can you, wifey say hi?
1: Oh, she's in the room with the kids. Uh,
0: okay. She was there. Okay. Yeah. Well, w- well, I actually need to have your wife on my podcast. So, uh I'll yes. leave that for another day then, because your wife's a writer, right?
1: Oh, yeah. She's she's <laughs> like a, like a, of all trades, right? Writing, you know, making films or, you know, making videos, photography, art. She does it all.
0: Oh, yay. Okay. So I am going to let you lead us out with the reading. I'm still here in the background. Take it away when
1: you are ready. All right. So it's called Class of 98. It's the last poem in the book. We were different, just like all the other kids. Bad religion. After graduation, the question was, what's next? UNLV, running rebels, or general population? Smoke-filled casinos, slot machines, bing-binging, coin slot credit, and the whiff of dry Vegas heat. Neon lights and a post-nervous breakdown. Promises, to get back to California palm trees and cold beaches to write screenplays. I left my mother at a filthy Vegas Greyhound bus station, waving and crying. Went through jobs like changing underwear, Edison Electric, Eastmont Intermediate, and the Tiendita next door. I filled my spiral notebooks with poems in a room with a blue light bulb and the in the underwear drawer held stolen bottles of El Presidente. Lou Reed's Coney Island baby on repeat. Two, Chente never brought a girl home. He must be a Joto. Cue up AOL dial-up tone. The cousin signed me up to chat and meet women on the internet. Listen, man, you need a driver's license, a car, an apartment, and a job. These are the four basic things you need in life. Three I was poor, and women my age wanted college guy preps, tattooed chipster mechanics. I was awkward, wearing black corduroy pants, black chucks, a blue fleece, shades, and the beginning of a drinking problem. Then, a Southside San Antonio Chicano replied, "Hey, what's up?" Chatting became cheese men, then calling cards and sitting in a phone booth reading poems to her, Los Necios. Four, I'm gonna move to San Antonio to be with you. She said, don't move here. This is not the place for you. Friend said, don't leave. She's not good enough for you. I moved. Arriving in San Antonio, brother greets me, humidity and a ride straight to her house. The front door opens, Walking in, I see her sister laid out on the couch watching MTV. She's standing in the middle of the living room. Why are you here? I told you not to. All the conversations of love were gone. I can't believe you moved here. There's nothing for you here. A relationship of nothing, soundtracked by freestyle music, drawn eyebrows and lip liner living for Sunday night, cruising down military drive, my spiky blonde hair tips, working as a pool boy, neck covered in hickeys. A year later, ready to call it quits, just never enough money, hard luck stories, couldn't buy a house or get established, didn't sell drugs, just your forty regular regular 40-hour work week. Her father worked in car upholstery, He offered me to work with him as a gopher to learn the family business, but I stayed in the room or wrote poetry on buses of the west side and the south side of San Antonio. I worked minimum wage. My dad wants you out of here, she said. Me too. Bridges were burning, fake apologies, money not saved, no stability, a lost post-high school, teen of the 90s. I grabbed the keys, got in the car. She stood in the street. Where are you going? Come on, get in.
0: Oh, I love that poem. I, I had actually marked, this is my favorite passage, a lost post-high school teen of the 90s, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's what the book's about, really, about being lost.
1: Yes, yes. Absolutely. Lost in
0: a system, lost in the military, lost in your life. And um, just I, I just wanted to end with this, you know, what I really saw this book was, if it is a coming of age, it's to you being a writer.
1: Yes, absolutely. Right?
0: All the scribbling in the notebooks, mm-hmm. um, the references to writing. I think that's the solace in here, right? Um, absolutely. Yes. It's a thing that is true. Correct. And by writing this book, you're speaking truth to power, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I love it. Thank you for that, Jen.
0: Thank you. Thank you for writing this book. Everyone that's listening in or watching, I'll post this on my Life of Jen page. The video is perfect. I'm not even going to need to edit it. So I will post this video up soon as well. Um, please go out and get this book, Infidelis Mouthfield Press. I have a couple of extra copies. Anyone that shares this video or the audio podcast, I'll enter you into a drawing to win a free copy. So thank you, Vincent, for coming on. I just, I can't wait to see you at AWP in two weeks.
1: Thank you, us too. We can't wait.
0: Yeah. Oh, really quick, before we sign off, if you could tell everyone where to find you and anything that you want to promote really quick.
1: Sure. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. My name there is Vincent Orantes, my true last name, which is the next book. I'm on Twitter, uh, Orantes2020, at at Chente2020. I don't have a website, I don't think. But still, you can find me on social media. I will respond to you. I will add you. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Stick around while I end this recording really quick. And thank you again for coming on.
1: Thank you.